Today is a, a great day. We are going to start a new series today. We are going to go into the book of James. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of an introduction on James and what it's about. But first, let's talk a little bit about content, a little bit about the author. Now, who here knows who wrote the book? James. Yeah, you guys are sharp. I tell people, my church is really sharp. Okay, uh, very good. But did you know this? You knew that one. Did you know this? Did you know that James is the biological brother of Jesus? Did you know that? Actually, he's the younger brother. Did you know that? Uh, I recently heard that the, what the book of Proverbs is to the Old Testament is what James is to the New. Never heard that before? Uh, couldn't help but look at the book of James differently after hearing that. What James does is he takes gospel principles and he applies them to real life. That's like the beauty of James. Now, listen to this. Um, I, I've heard it said, you tell me if you agree, one of the big problems with the church in America, one of the, the biggest problems with the church in America is that in America, it's so comfortable, so rich, and so easy to be a Christian that the kind of Christians that Amer America produces, especially in the Bay Area, it produces a kind of lukewarm, shallow faith. Now, do you agree with me? I mean, of course, not in our church, but in other places, right? Do you agree with me? Now, if that's true, then there's a real problem with that in that it, th that kind of lukewarm and shallow faith, it doesn't really glorify God. And honestly, it's not very satisfying to the people who have that kind of faith. And, and so what we want to do as a church is always in every season, be it spring or summer or fall or winter, we want to constantly be inviting people to go deeper. We want to encourage people to grow. And so this summer is no exception. And I'm telling you that this book is really challenging, hard-hitting stuff. This, this book... Um, it could totally change your life. And I'll tell you what, if you just read it, it's going to do you some good. But if you study it, if you meditate on it, and if you apply it, it holds real promise to change your life. So here's the invitation. I don't know what you're going through um, like in your personal studies this summer, but here's the invitation. Why not, instead of just going through a book this summer, you really let this book go through you. How about it? Do you have an intentional plan of spiritual growth this summer? I mean, if you got a better plan, then let's go with your plan. But what about Sundays you come and you hear about the book of James, and then in your own personal study during the week, you're going through the book of James. How about that reinforcement? Anyone here just feel like you're getting messages about everything all over the place? How about some alignment in life where you're getting some reinforcement with what you read personally and what you hear about on Sunday? How about lining it up strategically? How about going through the book of James? 
Now, some of you are like, well, okay, if I go through the book of James personally, I could use a little bit of help. Great. I have two recommendations for you in terms of a study guide. So I, I went to my usual source. I went to Amazon. I did a little research for you guys. There's a whole bunch of study guides on James. I, I chose two. Um, the first one is by Greg Gilbert. I've read another book of his. He's solid. He's orthodox. He's a clear communicator. And he got four out of five stars on Amazon. Okay? That's pretty good. Uh, the second recommendation is a study guide from Max Lucado. He's more of an inspirational writer, really good with stories and connecting to the heart. And his guide got 4.5 out of 5, right? So if you want something that's more orthodox, you know, clear, go with Greg. If you want something that's a little bit more inspirational, go with Max. But if you need help, go with one of these brothers and, um, and their guides, and I think it will be really helpful. Uh, you can download this from Amazon. All right, we still got to do an intro, so we're, we're talking about James. I want to tell you about the author. Now, if you read the first verse of James, you will see that James is calling his older brother the Lord, right in the same sentence as he's addressing God. Now, you need to know, James is the least likely person in the world to call Jesus Lord because Nobody knows the cruel humanity of an older brother like a younger sibling. And the younger siblings can say amen. Amen. You know it's true, right? And sure enough, when Jesus began his ministry, James didn't believe in him. He thought his brother was out of his mind. But then something happened. So for the three years of ministry, James is kind of doing his own thing. Three years public ministry of Jesus. But then something happened. Jesus died and he rose from the grave. Did you know that the only appearance of Jesus to one person individually, at least that I know of, is James? Now, I don't know what Jesus said to James, you can imagine that. Wouldn't you love to just whisper, just listen in on that? I don't know what happened. But I do know that that encounter with someone who died and rose again, it changed James. He was changed. He wasn't the same James. Now, let me tell you what I mean. Okay. Now, when you're reading the, uh, Acts chapter 2, right, you're... you're the formation of the early church. Who's in charge? Well, God's in charge. But, but who's the first leader? Tell me. Uh, share it with me. It, it is Peter. It's Clearly it's Peter. Now, in Acts 15, during the first council, you got Peter and you got Paul in the room. And they have a big decision. They're all, you know, all talking. You know. And then Paul says something. And then Peter. Who has the last word where everyone goes, okay, I guess we've decided. It's James. James somehow became lead elder. Okay, now, now I just want to point this out. You got Peter and Paul in the room, and they're deferring to, to another person? Wow. This, this person and his leadership ability and his, his calling is amazing. Now, um, 
I want to I share a little bit about how James ended. Uh, religious leaders came to James. They asked him to deny that his brother is the Christ. James wouldn't do it. He took his last few words to affirm the deity of his older brother. The religious leaders, they have had enough. They had it. They had it. So they took up James to a very high place in the temple with a bunch of people watching, and they pushed him over. So he fell down. He hit the ground, and he was still alive. So at that moment, when they're throwing stones at him, he kneels down, and he prays that God would forgive his attackers One of them approaches James with a big stick, bashes his head in, and that's the end of James. James was an incredible man. He lived an incredible life, and he had an incredible encounter with Jesus that changed his life. And today, we're going to go through the first four verses of his book. Now, I'm just wondering, I don't know if you're familiar with the book, I don't know if you're not. But what would you guess is the very first topic that James addresses? Now, what I told you, it's kind of like Proverbs. There's different topics in this letter. What would you say is the very first thing that James addresses? Some of you already know because you've read the book, but maybe you don't know. What do you think would be the first thing? The first thing, maybe it shouldn't be a surprise because major religions had formed by the need to address this topic. It is the topic of suffering. Uh, One author puts it like this, suffering is a funny thing. It makes some people who believe stop believing. It makes other people who don't believe come to start believing. And then it makes people who do believe go deeper. Same thing, three very different responses. Now before we dive into this passage with our heads, which we need to do, I first want us to kind of dive into the topic with our hearts. Because whatever James is talking about, it's got to reach down into your heart and into real life. And I've heard a lot of stories about pain, but for some reason this story grips me and I've always remembered it. It's from John Arpberg. He knows a couple known them for a long time. They had a beautiful daughter. In fact, she was the kind of child that people uh, would stop them at BART station and comment about how beautiful their child was. And you see, they also had a pool in their backyard. So one summer day, it was so nice outside, the mom, and she sets up this playpen in, by the grass. And she's playing with her daughter. She gets a uh, phone call. So she takes her daughter, and she puts her daughter in the playpen, and she goes into the house to, re- to talk on the phone. And then the daughter was, you know, just kind of like tapping on the door, and the hinge to that door fell off. And so the mom came back, and she found the body of her beautiful baby in the bottom of the pool. Now that started a grief 
that no words could ever describe. And it was a journey where every birthday and every Christmas there's a thought of what could be and was not. And there's a cry like, why? Why, oh God, did you not hold up that hinge? Can you, can you hear that? Why did you not hold up that hinge? It always goes there. And, and so when we talk about suffering, we got to go there. And uh, what James covers in four verses needs to cover that kind of pain as well. All right. Okay. Are we ready for the first four verses of James? Here goes. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Want to say that again? Same sentence. Servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Okay, I, I want us to respond to this. I, I think intuitively, naturally, I think some people will go, wow, that's pretty insensitive. No, I'm just being honest, you know. That's kind of insensitive, okay? Now, let me just clarify that James does not say that this is what you should say to another person. He doesn't say, hey, when you're trying to comfort another person, this is what you should. He doesn't say that. James is speaking with apostolic authority to people who are suffering, but they need to hear this, okay? So, but he's not saying this is what you say to another person who's writhing in pain. So I just want to clarify, in John 11, when Mary's brother just died... And Jesus saw Mary crying. What does Jesus do? He cries. Jesus Christ wept. Okay, so James not saying that this is what you should say to another person who's grieving. And you go, okay, okay, well then he's not saying that. So then what is he saying? Well, he, he says, James says, count it all joy. Now again, I'm, I'm doing, I'm, I'm, I'm studying this with my head. It's, it's, what, what it, count it all joy. What is that? It, well, it's a command. What is that? To count. It's a verb. What does that mean? To count is to consider. It is to determine the value of something. It's to think of it in a certain way. It's not driven by feeling first. It's driven by thinking first. It's driven by how you process something with your mind first. Okay, so to be clear, Jim, not saying, hey, put on a happy face and pretend it's all okay. He's not saying that. But, but you still go, some of us at least, maybe a lot of us, you still go, well, this still doesn't resonate. I mean, he does say, joyful, okay, and my relationship is falling apart, my health is getting worse, my work is not going well, I don't see 
any good in this. But now, now hold it, wait a second. James is not saying be joyful about the suffering. I mean, look at these. He doesn't say be, be joyful about the suffering. I don't see that. He, he's not saying that there's goodness in the situation. I just want to make that clear. If the situation is terrible, you know what you should call it? Terrible. If, if, it's, if it's crap, you should call it. You don't have to say that, but, but, um, but I did. If it's injustice, call it injustice. If it's pain and it's awful, call it something awful. If it's wrong, call it wrong. Okay, James is not saying you shouldn't. A beautiful baby at the bottom of the pool is something worthy of crying and weeping about. Yes, please, bring on those tears. Okay. I think part of the little good because that's what I've been calling all along, and I felt a little bit guilty calling that. No, James, call it that. That's what it is. All right. Great. But there's still this joy thing. What is James saying? You're, you're, Andrew, you're talking about what you should not do. Okay, we won't do that. But what is he saying? Okay, well, let's talk about what he's saying. Okay. James is saying that not that you should be joyful in the horrible situation, but in what it produces. James like, well, you can be joyful about that. You can be joyful that under the sovereign authority of God, he is taking something horrible and using it and turning it for your good. That is what you can be joyful about. I mean, look at verse 3. For you know that the testing of your faith, what's the next word? Say it, say it with me. What you're testing your faith, what? Produces. James is like, I, I, yeah, this is horrible, but it's produced. Can we look at the thing it's producing? Not the thing. I know the thing is awful. Not to say it's awful, but it's producing some. Can we look at what it produces? Okay, so he's saying produces. Okay. Now, uh, um, now uh, let's, let's do a little bit of an illustration. Some of you will have to look behind you. Um, Jason, can I have you stand up, please? Okay, thank you. Okay, you stand right there, I'll be there. Okay, now, you, in order for this illustration to work, we're both going to have to take off our shirts, okay? So the count of three, we're going to take it off, okay? I'm joking, okay. Um, now, now, I want you to size up Jason. I want you to size up, size up Jason and then size me up. Now, I want to ask you, if we were in a wrestling match, who do you think would win? How many of you would bet on Jason? Okay, I would bet on Jason too, all right? Okay, I would bet a lot of money on Jason, all right? Jason has these guns, and I do not. It's very clear. But I do have more technique, but that's, that's something different. <laughs> Anyways, I think he would win. That was very sure. Now, now, here's the thing. Let's say someone like me wanted to look like Jason. Jason, how did you get that way? You work out a lot, okay? Uh, you work out a lot. How often do you work out? Every day. There you go. If you want to look like Jason, you got to work out every day. Now, what does he do at the gym? He does a lot of pushing and a lot of pulling. Now, can you break that down? Yes, actually, what he does. Now, let's say uh, 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 Jason is curling. Um, what do you, I don't even know what you call it. What do you, 
a dumbbell. See, that's, I don't even know what you call it, right? He's curling a 50-pound. Can you just do that with me? Can you do that with me right here? Okay, now, now look at this. Okay, woo! Okay, now, now what's happening here is you look on the micro level as all those muscle fi fibers are being broken down, okay? In a sense, they're tearing, Okay, now, when that happens, there's terminology for it. It's called feeling the burn. You've heard that in the video, right? Feel the burn, right? Now, does the burn feel good? No one ever feels the burn like, oh, I love that burn. I don't do you do that? Actually, maybe you might a little bit, but, I, but the rest of it is like, that don't feel good. Okay, right, that doesn't feel good. But what can you feel good about? When you're feeling the burn, <laughs> what it produces, what does it produce? It's making the muscle bigger and stronger and you look better and all of that, right? It's never, I love the burn, but it's, I love what it produces. Thank you so much for letting me do that to you. I appreciate that. Okay. But, but we're clear on that. It's what, it's what. It's what suffering produces, which is what we can fix our minds on, and that's what James is talking about. But, but i got to be honest with you. I think there's, there's still people here who still find that not satisfying. And I just want to say, I get that, and we're going to go back to that a little bit later. Okay? But being a Bible teacher, I just want to move on with some points. Oh, here's the second point. Okay, here's the second point. James is saying... Now, I think it's very clear from the, the verses. James is saying that you are incomplete without suffering. You guys see that in the text? James is saying that you're incomplete without suffering. He, he, he's saying, let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and mature, lacking in nothing. Okay, so, so basically, James is saying that Without this thing, I'm incomplete. So I need this thing to be complete. So you put it all together. James is saying, actually, you need suffering in order to be complete, in order to be mature, in order to grow up into Christ. What you need is you need suffering. I think that's the implication. I think it's hard to argue against that. Is that true, though? You buy that? You believe that? Is that true? Did you know that 12 of the first 44 presidents of the United States of America lost their fathers when they were young? 12 of 44. Coincidence? Man, I'm telling you, nothing is more painful to a child than to lose one of your parents. Do you think the pain and the lost and the steadfastness, and the not giving up, and the character development led them to become the great men that they became? Coincidence? Do you guys know what an Encyclopedia Britannica is? Mark, can you explain it to us? <laughs> an Encyclopedia Britannica existed in what century? Um, but basically what the Wikipedia is now is the Encyclopedia Britannica in hard copy form, okay? So there's a lot of books, okay? 
You, got, you guys getting me? You understand that? Okay. So, so, so there was a researcher that, that went through all these books and made a list of every notable person in the encyclopedia. Notable is like you got a column or maybe more, okay? Compiled a list, okay? Looked at all their biographies. This research project took 10 years, okay? So what, I, I, what I'm saying in like, in like one minute took 10 years to compile, okay? But, but this is what it, uh, this person found. He found that a quarter of all these great people, great men, great women, made a, made, a, made a big difference. A quarter of them lost one parent before the age of 10. One quarter lost a parent before the age of 10. I can't think of something more tragic that can happen to a child than to lose a parent. Is this coincidence? Seems like great men and women become great because of loss and tragedy and pain. And it seems like perhaps without it, they would never become great. James says that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect. He doesn't really outline the process, I think inevitably there will be a time where you feel like you should give up. But you choose not to. There will be a time where you are tempted to take a shortcut. But you don't. There is a time of desperation and you don't know what to do and you're reading God's word saying, help me in desperation, probably. And there's going to be a time, maybe, that you turn around to other people and say, I need help. It's all of it. But you don't give up. You don't take the shortcut. You keep on believing. You keep on loving. You keep on trusting God. And it sounds like James is saying, when you do that, steadfastness is having this effect, making you mature and complete. Okay, some of us are like, okay, yeah, I get that it, intuitively, great men, great, okay, but can you break that down? Like, in, how does it do that? Break it down for me. In what ways? Okay, let me give you four. This is what only suffering can do for you. Number one is humility. Number two is compassion. Number three is freedom. And number four is faith. Now what I like to do is explain these qualities. And I want to try to give you an example of each one to kind of make it a little bit more concrete. Humility. I would define humility as being small in your own eyes. I've always loved that definition of humility. Humility is being small in your own eyes. I think of, okay, I'm thinking, who, who would be a great example of this? I'm thinking, um, I'm thinking of Paul. I, Paul was a great man. He was a great man. He wrote, like what, a third of the New Testament? His deep ponderings of the Christian faith and what it meant that Jesus died on the... You don't understand this. It has changed the lives of billions of people. One man, his work, changed the lives of billions of people. 
I don't know a lot of people with the ministry of that magnitude. I don't know any peop- many people alive today who can say, yes, God used my work to change billions. That's Paul. But here's the thing. I have seen countless people who, because they thought they were big in their own eyes, have ruined themselves. Recently, I don't want to say names, but there is someone that in church circles, we always looked up to this person, and recently, um, recently, a, a mighty person has fallen. Can I be more vague than that? That if I were to trace the root, what's going on? It's because they were prideful. They thought they were above accountability. There was a lack of humility. Now, I'm saying that Paul was great, and I'm saying that Paul was never ruined by his pride. Why? Suffering. I can't. Actually, that's what Paul said. He said, uh, there was given to me this thorn in the flesh to keep me from being conceited. It's almost like, 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 like Jesus. It's almost like Jesus saying, look, Paul, I got this amazing calling for you. But it's, it's so weighty, it's going to ruin you with pride. But don't worry, I also have the provision against that, the antidote. It's suffering. It's suffering. You need this, Paul. And what you see in 2 Corinthians, Paul's like, all right. I've, I said, okay, Lord, I surrender to his suffering. Okay, let, let's go on. Um, number two is compassion. I don't think I need to explain what that means. I think it's obvious. But the, the person that I, I chose who I think really embodies this is, um, is my wife. My wife knows suffering. In fact, when we were dating, she, she told me she would never marry a man who hasn't suffered. And so when we would, you know, share about our lives, I would exaggerate. <laughs> now, she today is a professional counselor. I'm telling you on Tuesdays all day long. Client, after, she just packs them in one day. The entire day, she is listening to people and, her, and deeply caring, deep, deep empathy. And one time, I was like, Raina, I don't know how you, how do you do that for an entire day? You know, I don't see how you can, po-. and then all of a sudden it clicked. It's like, you know how? It's because she suffered. So she's listening to people and she's like, I've been there. I care because I know that pain. Wow. Okay, so it's true for my wife. Freedom. What do you mean by freedom? But by freedom, I mean freedom from loving anything more than you love God. It's freedom from the idolatries of the heart. All right? Here's my example. Abraham. Now, Abraham was one blessed dude. Can you guys give me an amen on that? It's true. That guy had everything. He had camels, you know, and I mean, but just not, I mean, I mean, back then, I mean, everything you would want, Abraham had then. I, I was kind of poking fun of that, but, but, but my point is, he was a rich, rich man. He had everything, right? You're going, yeah, yeah, but he didn't have, he didn't have a son. God gave him a son. After like, what, 20 years of waiting, God gave him the promised son. Woo! 
all, right? They're your son. And so the son was an idol in his heart, right? Now, this is the person, like the, uh, the, the leader among the patriarchs, right? So it's pretty important that you get the man who's going to represent Israel, God's chosen. It's pretty important that he have a heart that's pure, right? Well, how do you get a guy that has so much stuff and his own son is an idol in his heart? How do you get that person to have a pure heart? There's only one way. Suffering. Well, you know what, 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 what God, uh, what Abraham had to go through? God asked him to sacrifice his own son. Think of anguish. Think of pain. Think of agonizing anguish. I mean, that's what Abraham had to go through. And Abraham said, okay. And he was raising his hand to slay his own son. And God said, no, this is, this is, I don't know. How else do you do it? How do you hell else do you have a man that's that rich with a heart that's that pure? Only one way, suffering. Man, this message sucks, but it's true. Ah, faith. I hope you don't mind. I, uh, I wanted to slip in my own story there for faith. Several years ago, I was going through some really big health problems. Uh, I really enjoy preaching. Sometimes I can't. I got this facial muscle thing. It's all messed up. But two years ago, it was really bad. Like, I can't even do my job. It'd be like, Lord, I want to get up there and share about how good you are, and I can't. I feel like a pitcher with a bum arm. That, that's just really, I, there were certain times during this two-year period where I'm like, Lord, I would not wish this kind of pain and frustration on my worst enemy, and you love me, and you're giving this to me? Are you kidding me? Really? And so I got to tell you, during the, the, the two years, like it was right in the middle, it was so bad. I went into my prayer closet, and I always thought that because I'm a pastor, I got like these pastor-like like veto cards. No one told me I did. I just always thought I just did. I don't know why I thought, you know. And so I was in my prayer closet. I'm like, Lord, I am playing this card. And I said, Lord, if you love me, if you love me, then I want to go to bed. I want to wake up, and I want to be instantaneously healed. And then the stories I will tell on Sunday, I'm going to come up here like, guess what God did? You know, Lord, if you love me, now, I'm a little embarrassed about it, but I went there. I played my If You Love Me card. I, it was, I don't know, was it an ultimatum? Maybe, but I feel like I have one in my pocket. I'm playing it. And I went to bed, and I woke up, and the pain was all still there. And I almost lost my faith that day. I, I, I think I almost lost my faith. I, I was bitter. I was mad. I think, you know, eventually I surrendered but it wasn't a joyful process. It wasn't. Now, two years later, I'm in a better place. You know? Would I do it all over again? Like volunteer for that? No. 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 
No. But my faith did get stronger. I'll be honest. I'll be honest. My faith did get stronger. Like, I know I'm here right now. I'm here right now. I know without a doubt, without one little niggle of doubt that God loves me because he gave his everything on the cross for me through the death of the son. God loves me. No question. And I also know that he lets the ones he loves go through tremendous pain. And he uses it to produce something for our good and for his glory. I believe that. That experience has given me a faith that doesn't get blown away through suffering. And that's what suffering, only suffering can do for you. It develops humility, compassion, freedom, and faith. Now, do you see that here in your head? I think so. But do you see it here in your heart? Some of you are not going through anything. You're not going through the fire right now. You're like, I see it. Some of you are going through the fire right now, and you're like, I don't see it. I don't see it. Some of you is like, these first four verses are like a lesson in abstraction. Thank you, Pastor Andrew. I'm not feeling it. I'm not connecting. This is all theoretical. I, I think there's a lot of us who, are, who, who feel like, when you're, especially when you're going through pain, it's like, yeah, okay, I get it. Making me stronger. I, but you know something? I don't want to be stronger. I don't want maturity. I want this project which is keeping me from sleeping at night to go well. I don't want maturity. I want a happy marriage. You know? I don't want maturity. I want my parents to get well and for their health situation to be more manageable. I don't want maturity. I just want the pain to go away. Okay, that's what I'm about. Now, it, it seems like if there's a disconnect here, especially if you're going through pain, that, that it's like this. God wants something and we want something else. We're not connecting, okay? Now, does it ever seem like God wants something different from what you want? Maybe that's the reason why it doesn't resonate. Now, I would say, I don't think it should be any surprise that this is happening. In Isaiah 55, um, Isaiah says, the voice of God, my ways are not your ways, and my thoughts are not your thoughts. So, so God himself even says, look, we just think differently. We do think differently. You know, we're like, we want a happy life, and God wants, God's like, I want you to have a holy life. We want outward success. No one would describe it like that, but maybe it just, we want numbers. We want, we want, we want applause. And God's like, no, no, no. I, I have, it's, it's inward success. It's more with the heart. It's more with your character. We want a healthy body. God wants us to have a healthy heart. We want happy, and God wants holy. We want good life, and God's like, no, 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 no. I want you to be more like my son. Now, I, I shared this story before, but there was a really painful experience for me that came about when I was watching my son um, uh, play basketball on a team for the first time. 
and I'm in the stands, I'm just watching him play. It's really, really painful, right? He, he doesn't have much experience, you know, but there's insight, like, oh, you know, I don't know if you've ever been there. It's just painful. So one time he's like underneath the hoop, and the ball went, and it came right to him, like right, boom, on his chest, because that was the only way he could get the ball. So anyway, so it came right to his chest, right? And then my son took the ball, put it back up, and missed. And I was like, oh, oh. Okay, okay, so then after the game, I'm like, oh, i got to talk to him, got to, no, 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 wait, wait for the car, so we go to the car, go, I think something happened on the way to the car where God was doing something in my heart, almost like, hey, you know, I don't see it the same way, something happened, so by the time we're in the car, like, Ryan, hey, let's talk about your game, you could tell, you know, like, hey, Ryan, remember, hey, uh, you remember that shot where it was like, like, the ball went right to you? Remember that? Yeah, yeah. And you, you, you put it up there? Yeah, yeah. That was awesome. I, I really like how you had courage. You know? I mean, you could have just passed it, but the, you were right there, and you, you, you took a risk. And that took courage. I'm proud of you. And my son was like, but yeah, but Dad, I missed. I don't care if you missed. I care that you had courage. You know, you see, like, I'm, I'm, I'm here, like, well, because God helped me. I'm here, I'm thinking about his character, and he's thinking about, like, numbers and performance. And I'm like, yeah, no, I, I, I care about this. I was thinking differently than how he thinks. Can it be that that's how God processes with us? He's wanting to make us more like Jesus, and we're thinking about, I, you know, something else. You want to be healthy, I get it. You want to be happy in your relationships, I get it. Can it be that God is more concerned about the person that you're becoming? Your marriage is hard, or maybe singleness is hard, I get it. Can it be that God is more concerned about the person you're becoming? Your, your, your kids are young, you're not getting any sleep, you got all these bags around your eyes, I get it. No, I do get it. Can it be that God is more concerned about the person you're becoming? You're experiencing failure in a certain way. You're getting criticized. I get it. Can it be that God is more concerned about the person you're becoming? I would say, ironically, for the last two years, my vocal condition has stabilized and gotten much better. But last Sunday, I messed it up again. And all that anxiety that I had saved for two years came flooding back to me. And I was like really, really anxious. And it's ironic because I'm preaching on this message. My confession to you is I did go there with my mind, but I did not go there with my feelings. I could not process it to the point of joy. I'm just being honest with you, okay? There is a pattern, though, in my life. Like, when I'm going through tremendous pain, I, 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 don't, I, I read this verse. I'm like, what, what joy? It doesn't resonate. I don't feel it. But time and time again, after the pain, after what it produces, you know, either the humility or the compassion or the freedom or the, or the, uh, the, the, the faith, I'm always kind of glad that it happened because of what it produced in me. 
But my confession is like I have rarely, I don't, maybe never, been in fire and been like joyful in the fire. It always comes afterwards when I'm counting and reflecting. I wonder if James is saying, look ahead to the time when you can look behind and appreciate all it's produced. When you look ahead, you're joyful. Can you borrow some of that joy that you will feel then, right now? Maybe that's kind of what he means by count it all joy. And maybe one day in my life, I'll be mature enough, experienced enough, know how this works, that I'll be in the middle of the fire and I will be feeling the feeling of joy and not just having to think it. Maybe one day. This much I do know. I know that at the end of my life, by the way, my, my father passed away when I was 45. I'm, I just turned 43. I don't know what that means. I don't know. I, none of us know how much time. But I do know that at the end of my life, when I look back, when I'm at the end of my life and I'm about to see Jesus face to face, I know, I know it will have all been worth it. I want you to imagine at that moment when it's near the end, you look back at all the pain, all the suffering, the humility it's produced, the freedom, the faith, the compassion it's produced, the priorities that it's clarified in your life. Would you at that moment think it's worth it? I think you would think it's worth it, knowing you're right about to see Jesus. And he's not looking for performance. He's looking at character. Maybe at that moment, you would count it all joy. Can you borrow from that and count it all joy now? I think maybe that's what James is talking about. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you for these very hard-hitting words. And I want to just pray for all the people in our church who are going through the fire right now. I, I, I love them. You love them. There's a reason that you let them go through the fire. I mean, I mean, Lord, I know that miraculously you can just deliver them just like that. You have that power. You totally have that power. But can it be that by your sovereignty, you're also allowing them to go through the fire because of what's producing inside them? And maybe it doesn't resonate in our hearts, but I pray that you would help us to make peace with this in a way that preserves faith and joy and allows you to do your sacred work in our hearts. Let it be done. We pray for those in our church who are suffering. We pray that we will become people who are steadfast. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.